And this morning, I'm going to start a new series. It's, we're entering into summer, and uh, the series is called Have Church, Will Travel. Some weeks ago, we printed up a bunch of these. How many of y'all have one? You've worn it out? You got Yours is Eduardo Cortez has yours. Uh, it's in Puerto Rico. Um, so that's part of what we're doing is, and you see some of these pictures in the mornings when in the rotating slides, is that we're taking pictures of anywhere from downtown Houston uh, to it's been to Puerto Rico and internationally because we are the church and the church is not this building it is this morning you know why because we're here but when everybody leaves it ceases to become that it becomes a building and so um, this is a reminder and and so if you've got one if you don't let let me know and and we'll work on getting some some more of them and and go from there. Um, but the emphasis is that the church is, is a traveling church. The church has always been a, a traveling church. The Apostle Paul traveled a lot on foot everywhere he went. So the church has moved. He, he was the premier church planter of all time. And there's a lot that I think we can learn from him when it comes to church and when it comes to how our church uh, is going to look in different places and in different ways. Paul traveled, uh, and, and the churches he planted, uh, are, we're going to look at several of those to see what we can learn from each. And today we're going to look at the churches of Galatia. A little bit of history. Part of what my goal is here is to give a little bit of history and context of what was going on in the area, who are, who, who are these, these folks that, that are in the area, um, to look at some of the issues and things that Paul was, was uh, writing about, but also, primarily really, there's stuff in each of these letters for us today. And so that's the goal going in. A little bit of history about the churches at Galatia. We don't really know how many churches of Galatia there were. We don't actually know their exact locations. There's a debate about that. Uh, and that comes because the term Galatians is a broad term. It's used to describe two different people groups. W originally, there was a group of Celtics who came down into the Mediterranean, into Asia Minor, and settled around what is now modern-day Ankara. And, um, and, and so that's one group. But the province of Galatia that the Romans, and, and you hear reference to, extended further south. And you'll see references in Scripture to Iconium, Lystra, and Derbe. Those are places we know that Paul and Barnabas planted churches. That's in Acts 14. And there, so there are different areas that we're looking at, different uh, opinions about wh which area Paul might be addressing in this letter. And we don't really have any historical evidence to say, well, it's this one. Uh, this is one of his early letters. It's likely written uh, in 48 to 55. And to put that in context, Jesus was would have died around 33. So this is an early letter. This is written, we think, pretty close to within a decade to two decades of Jesus' death. And it shows that the church is wrestling with uh, the difficult question. I mean, this is, we have doctrine, and we have a lot that we've gone through from then to now. But back then, one of the biggest questions that they had was, what do we do with the Jewish law and tradition? How does this interplay with this new Christian movement? And so they, this church was, these churches were wrestling with that. They were trying to figure that out. 
Richard B. Hayes is a theologian. He wrote this about Galatians. He says, Paul's statement about the law in Galatians created acute theological tensions that demanded further reflection. And I'm going to deviate a little. This, this predates the letter to the Romans, and the letter to the Romans, Paul fleshes out his theology. So this is, <laughs> if you want to think of it in these terms, this is Paul beginning to figure out his theology, which he then expands in Romans. Back to Hayes. He says, his insistence on the radical character and universal scope of God's grace became a critical factor in the early church's self-definition and has played a, a generative role in Christian theology. Paul's view of salvation by faith through grace is very distinct from the Jewish understanding of following the rules and getting it right. So let's start in Galatians. So that's a little bit of the historical context. Let's start at the beginning. Galatians 1, 1 through 5. Paul, an apostle. Oh, and by the way, you might want to bring your Bibles. To the <laughs> I, I know I don't usually say that. I usually put a lot of scripture up here. Um, but we're going to try to cover uh, most of the books uh, or most of the letters. And most is probably not right. We're going to cover... Uh, significant sections, and so this this will be, uh, it, it'd be good to have your Bible in, in church. It's probably good to have your Bible in church. Anyway, Paul, <laughs> an apostle, sent not from men nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers and sisters with me, to the churches in Galatia, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. This is one of the most intriguing and interesting beginnings to a Pauline letter. It's different. It gives clear indication when you look at the others, uh, the, the, the Sunday school this morning looked at some of the others, and, and the, he's not saying, he usually begins these letters with to the saints at, to the saints at Ephesus, to the saints... And here he doesn't do that. Paul also doesn't usually feel the need to open his letters with his resume. References to being appointed by God. But here we have sent not from men, nor by a man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. So that tells us there's something very different going on in these churches in Galatia. Paul is writing for, for a reason. And in, in the rest of this chapter, in the beginning of chapter 2, verses... 111 through 214, Paul gives more backup to his apostleship. He talks about the road to Damascus, his conversion experience. Uh, he talks about his interaction with the Jerusalem church. It talks about his challenging of Peter and his understanding uh, of, of how to treat and, and be with the Gentiles. He gives his pedigree to these churches at Galatia. And, and it, when you read that in the context of all the others, you kind of got to go, okay, what in the world is going on? Why does he have the need to do that here? And what we learn later in, the, in this letter and, and what we know today is that it's very clear that a new teaching had come to the churches at Galatia, and it was moving the Galatians from this Pauline understanding, uh, this faith-based understanding of Christianity, to a focus on needing to do the works of the law, to be circumcised to follow Jewish law. And Paul expresses his theology of salvation uh, for both Jews and Gentiles pretty well in uh, chapter 2, 15 through 21. And I'm going to read that in a minute. 
he will spend chapters 3 through 5 expanding that. But this is a clear understanding from Paul about how he understood salvation. We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So he's talking to to these Judaizers is what they were called. They were Jewish Christians who were coming in and trying to to change things. And and, And he talks directly to them. We who are Jews by birth know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we, too, have put our faith in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. No one will be justified. But if, in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves also among the sinners, does does that mean that Christ promotes sins? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker. For, though the, for through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loves me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. So he challenges this new belief that you have to do these things. You have to return to to the Hebrew law. And he returns them to that initial understanding that it's belief, that it's faith that saves. It's grace through faith, not by works or by strict obedience to the law, as the new folks coming in had been saying. Our justification, our conversion, does not come through ourselves. It's not us, but comes through faith in Christ. And he's adamant about this. He he tells the Galatians, by the works of the law, no one will be justified. By the works of the law, no one will be justified. None. Nobody. You know what no one means? Nobody. It means nobody. You know, if all means all, no one means no one. Nobody's going to be justified by the the works of the law. And Jesus Jesus sets us free. But these Jewish Christians have brought back the bondage of legalism and of, of, of following the rules. And he, as Paul goes on, he says, if I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker. If I rebuild, they're coming in to reinstitute the law. If we rebuild that, then I would be a lawbreaker because Jesus set us free from that. Through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. See, when our focus is on earning our way, on what is known as works righteousness when that's where we live the false belief that we can work our way into being righteous through what we do ourselves instead of relying on what christ has done then we return ourselves to enslavement to the bondage of the law and then paul in chapter three starts venting you foolish galatians it's almost like he's yelling you foolish galatians what the heck is wrong with you who's bewitched you that's not what I taught y'all, and, and, and you're doing, you're, why are you doing that? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly exhibited as crucified. The only thing I want to learn from you is this. Did you receive the Spirit by doing the works of the law or by believing what you have heard? Which, which is it? Did you receive the Spirit by, 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 by Jesus or did you receive it by, by the works that you were doing? 
Are you so foolish? Having started with the Spirit, you're now ending with the flesh? Are you crazy? Wait, that might not be in there. (laughs) But it might be, yeah. Did you experience so much for nothing? If it really was for nothing. Well then, does God supply you with the Spirit and work miracles among you by your doing the works of the law or by you believing what you've heard? If he had a microphone, he'd probably drop it right there. That's right, I'm out. Next. See, for Paul, the Galatians were moving from a higher mode of experiencing God, from a Spirit-based understanding of God. They were moving from that to a lower mode to follow that, that it was up to them and to follow the law and the flesh. And that is what upset him. He was upset. That's why he started the letter the way he did. That's why he gave his resume. He's like, you guys are nuts. I gave you freedom. Christ gives you freedom. I preached freedom. And you said, eh, I think I want to go over here and lock myself in the jail. What is that? What is that? And that's what they were doing. And by the way, that's a continuing issue for us today. He preached grace through faith, and they chose earn your way. Grace through faith. Nope. Too easy. Doesn't make sense. Got to earn it. One of the great differences, I think, in our faith, in Christianity and others, is that most religious and I don't know about all, I don't know all, but most of them have God kind of on a mountaintop, right? So you've got to work and claw your way up to find God or to the next stage of enlightenment or whatever it is. You've got to work your way up the mountain into the cave to ask the monk what the meaning of life is. So you claw your way and you earn your way and you fight to get to the top of the mountain. That's most faith. But our God saw us trying to climb up the mountain, clawing to get up to him, and said, hey, you're never going to make it. I need to go to them. And he sent Jesus to us, off the mountaintop to us. Now, Paul, what the churches at Galatia were doing is very common. I mean, I I have that thing in me that, that says I have to earn it, too. And I would imagine so do you, right? We earn our way. And when you're gifted with something, it's hard to understand that. It's hard to understand, especially something like salvation. I used to have a picture in my office at uh, Hawkeye Treatment Services when I was a director there, and it was the Michelangelo hand of God, where you've got the, the hand of God and the hand of man, and they're this far apart. I always, it would have ruined the picture, but I always thought about drawing a cross there because they could never touch until Jesus. And then that gap between humanity and God is bridged by the cross. I've always wanted to kind of draw a little cross for just because of that. We couldn't do it. We can't do it. 
He can. He did. He still does. He's trying to build bridges in our life now to draw us nearer to him. See, we're obedient, not because it saves us, salvation by faith through grace, but because we love our God. I, I love Kit. I want to do things that make Kit happy. I want her to have a full life. I want to do things to do that. I love God. I want to do things that please God, that, that help God to be heard and seen throughout this world. I want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of what he's doing. I want to see what God can do through Arbor Point Church in this community. I want to see what he does with Corey Ramba through Ramba. Ramba through Grow to Be You, Rambo. Through Grow to Be You Day School. I want to see what he's doing through Andy with all the stuff that you're doing. You know, through Christy with education, through Rick with, with the planning, through Mike with worship and the things that are doing. It's awesome what God is doing, and, and, and I want to see that, and I want that to be for you. You know, we went to Puerto Rico. It was awesome. It's an awesome thing to get out of the country, get away from it, and be someplace, and be with people you don't know, and just help, and just be there, and see what God does. I want to see that. I want to be a part of that. I hope you do, too. That's what we're about here. That's what we want to be about. It's what we're going to be about. It's what we are about. Y'all have been here longer than me. You know that, but I'm I'm on. I'm on board. I'm with, I'm with you, you know. God is doing a work. He's going to continue to do that. He's going to take us outside the walls, and that has nothing to do with this message, but it's, it's on my heart. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe it has everything to do with this message. I don't know, but I know that God is present and real and here. I want to go where he goes. I want to be who he wants me to be. Whatever that looks like, and sometimes it looks confused, but (laughs) he's doing just such a work. Paul is trying to help the Galatians see their way to living free again. It's the way he showed them in the beginning, the way he first came to them, and he (laughs) said, Jesus Christ will set you free. You ever heard that before? Free. That's what he was after. Gosh, what would it be like if the church lived free? Oh, wow. And this message is important. Look, we have lots of doctrinal differences among countless denominations and 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 places in Christianity, some are going to be on track, some are going to be off track. Fortunately for us, we, we have it right. Um, <laughs> we all think we have it right, right? We have it right, fortunately for us. Um, but that's one of the reasons these letters are so incredibly helpful for us. We can look and see where we stand in relationship to the places that Paul started this whole thing at. So, so are we like the Galatians? What, what is it that they did that we're doing? What is it that they didn't do that we need to do? Have we become too focused on the law and the rules and on Scripture? We lost grace and faith. Are we putting ourselves in bondage? Are we living free? These kind of questions we need to be willing to ask ourselves if we're going to become the church that Christ wants us to be. Christ wants us to be free, and, and, he, and he knows we're going to blow it sometimes. He gets that, but don't stay down. Get up next step and, and keep moving go where he's calling you he's calling you he's calling some of y'all this morning 
I don't know where this is coming from, but I know, well, I do. It's from the Holy Spirit. But, but he's calling some of you this morning. Answer that. Answer it. Don't run from it. Answer. Answer. We have to choose between Jesus and the law. One of my seminary professors, we call him LTJ, his name was Luke Timothy Johnson. And he put it this way, what then is the status of the Torah? The Torah is the law. It is both annulled, done away with, and fulfilled by the Messiah. Now this is, I'm going to go slow because this one's a little deep. It is annulled as an absolute norm for God's activity in human righteousness. It's done away with as the law is done away with as the norm for God's activity and done away with as the norm for human righteousness. If the only measure of righteousness is Torah, is the law, then Jesus cannot be, hear this, cannot be the source of life. In other words, if the measure of righteousness is the law, then Jesus can't be the source. The reason for that is that Jesus is unrighteous according to the law. In Deuteronomy 21, 23, cursed is anyone, anything that hangs from a tree. Jesus hung from a tree. He's a sinner according to the law, cursed by God because he hung on a tree. The cross is pivotal. You wonder why Jewish folks sometimes have trouble. Why can't they just believe? Because it doesn't make sense. It doesn't fit scripturally. It's pivotal. The, the Torah, the law, rejects a crucified Messiah. But if the Galatians had come to know or be known by God through Jesus, something has to give. Torah can no longer be the ultimate if the cross is. Jesus changes everything. Jesus changed everything. Paul points us to Abraham over Moses. He points us to the promise uh, that was made to Abraham over the law that was given to Moses. And Paul sees the Abrahamic story in a few ways that are really revelatory, that reveal, um, that reveal God to us. One is that the promise reveals how we should relate to God. Abraham related to God through faith. So we need to relate to God through faith. It clarifies the identity of Abraham's descendants. If you remember, the promise was as, as, was as many stars as there are in the sky will be your descendants. And it defines for us that the people of faith are his descendants. It anticipates the reach of God's blessing to all nations. All still means all. And that included the Gentiles for the first time. It signals the eventual appearance of the key. Paul goes to great lengths in this letter to talk about the seed. He says it's not plural, the seed of Abraham. Because Paul is making the, making the connection between the seed of Abraham and Jesus Christ himself. That Jesus is the seed of Abraham. Paul's theology of salvation by grace through faith is worked out in this letter. And he presents a lot of strong arguments 
And we could spend a year <laughs> or so going through. There's a lot of meat in Galatians. There's a lot of meat in the Bible. It's a good thing to get to know. You can almost get a sense he's begging them to come back. Choose freedom. Please, please, please choose freedom. Let go of this bondage. He challenges them to examine what they believe and why they believe it. And he gives them and us one of the most powerful tools of self-examination. I think one of the most powerful tools. And Corey, you did this with the kids last week. It's found in Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23. You want to know how you're doing? How you doing on love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, goodness, and gentleness, and self-control? Because there is no law against those things. How am I doing in my walk? Do I have these nine characteristics of this one fruit in my life? And let me be clear. This is, this is not like gifts of the Spirit where you might have gentleness and you don't have self-control. This is the fruit of the Spirit. Every Christian life should exhibit all nine. Now, some of us are better at some stuff than others, and that's why we need each other. But the fruit of the Spirit is the, are the characteristics of a Christian life lived fully for Christ. Some of us are good at gentleness. Some of us not are, are good at self-control, uh, you know, we're good at different things. One of the things that we can do to help, help and support one another is those who are good at one can help those who are not. We want to align where God would have us to be. And Paul encourages us at the end of this letter, as he did in most of his letters, in fact, probably all of his letters, he finished on a, as encouraging a note as he could. He says, bear one another's burning, burdens. And when we seek to correct one another, do so lovingly with the understanding that, that our focus needs to be on getting ourselves straight first before we focus on everybody else. I had a sponsor in early recovery, and he gave me a sentence that is obviously still with me 27 years later. He said, Mike, you know, If you're 95% right, you're 5% wrong, and your job is to work on the 5%. If you're 95% right, you're 5% wrong, and your job is to work on the 5%. We have a tendency to focus on where we're right, on the speck in my brother or sister's eye instead of the 2 by 4 in my own. But when I'm 95% right, I'm 5% wrong. And if I work on that 5%, I'm going to get further than if I gloat over the 95%. Where would the church be if we tried to get ourselves right? First. Or as Paul would put it, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Those who belong, here it is. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also be guided by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, competing against one another, envying one another. That had to have been going on in the Galatian churches or he would not have wrote it. If we live by the Spirit, let us also be guided by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, competing against one another, envying one another. 
Let us not become conceited. Let us not compete against one another. Let us not envy one another. There's a lot in this, in this letter. There's a lot of challenging things, and I want to end on a note of encouragement. This letter is one of the earliest letters that we have, and there's conflict in the church. One of the earliest letters that we have, 10, 20 years after Jesus, and there's conflict in the church, which seems to indicate that perhaps conflict in the church has been around a very, very, very long time. And sometimes when we look at the church today, we go, oh, the church is on its way out. church is going to die. Let me just say, that's just not the case. You know who the cornerstone of the church is? Jesus Christ. Is Jesus Christ going anywhere? No. The church is on firm footing. The church is not reliant on humans. The church is founded on Jesus Christ as the cornerstone, and Christ cannot be defeated. Christ cannot be defeated. Ever. I think Paul would want to remind us that we're not defeated, but are meant to be free from bondage and chains that we're meant to live in such a way that we are noticeably different from the folks around us, that when we live in, in such a way that we're going to exhibit love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, generosity, faithfulness, and self-control, those are just going to come out of us because that's what it means to be a Christian. And God will impact the world in incredible ways. Started with 11 disciples and some followers. Any ideas on how many people may have been impacted by those 11 disciples and, and a few followers? <laughs> a bunch. Billions and billions, right? 11 disciples and some followers. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. Too many counts. <laughs> what would he do with us? What could he do with us? force for Jesus in this community? Absolutely. Absolutely. 